0: Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Well, last Sunday we stepped into Revelation chapter 6, witnessing the Lord Jesus opening the first seal of the scroll that he received from the Father's hand. And we found that when he opened that uh, seal, one of the four living creatures, an angel, a cherubim, called out, come. Now, as I mentioned last week, that calling or that command of come was not to John. It wasn't saying, John, come and see, which actually you will find in some versions of the Bible but was actually a command for the materialization, the manifestation of what was written there in that seal to actually come forth and to begin the work that had been assigned to that um, horse and rider. And uh, the reason I can tell you that the come and see in some of those um, versions isn't quite accurate is because the oldest manuscripts that we have available to us now do not have those words and see it's just as it is come and so uh, it is clear when you look at it from that perspective uh, that uh, this is a command to the contents that are inside of that seal to come out and to begin the work that's been assigned uh, to whatever it is that's coming out. Now with that in mind What John saw when he opened, when Jesus opened that first seal, John saw a white horse with a rider, and this rider possessed a bow that did not have arrows, and it is said that a crown was given to him. Now, as we discussed last week, that horse and rider are not literal. A literal horse did not come out with a literal rider, but rather the horse and rider symbolize the unleashing of the ability of the one who was known as the Antichrist to emerge from obscurity and to begin his ascension to world domination. Now, with the opening of that scroll, everything that was in it didn't just happen automatically immediately. It it, it begins, and then it begins to unfold as time progresses. The same will be true of the uh, scroll, of the uh, seal that we'll look at today. And so it's something that grows in fulfillment now as it relates to that first horse and rider it is written of them that they came forth conquering and to conquer which made us ask the question how will this conquering go forth and we discover that at first this conquering takes place through a promise of peace and safety We need to be reminded that before this seal is broken, literally millions of people have disappeared in the resurrection and the rapture of the church age saints, and the world at that time is not going to know what happened. They're not going to understand it, and I believe it's going to cast the world into a, a, a time of chaos as they try to figure out what has just taken place. And this Antichrist, or the man of lawlessness as he's called, He'll come forth with answers, and part of his answer to all of this will be how he plans to assure the earth's population that he can provide peace and safety uh, for them. And so in the beginning here, uh, he rises to power through his charisma, through his diplomacy, through his promise of peace, rather than through military Might And that's what the arrowless bow represents. Furthermore, he will rise to power because it is God's will that he rise to power. In fact, God will aid him. It sounds strange when you think about it, but God will aid him to come to power because it has been part of God's eternal plan that this one would rise to global power only for a brief time. Uh, But that he would rise. And that's what it means when it talks about the crown being given to him. So the first seal sets in motion the Antichrist gaining power and control of the world's nations through the promise of peace and safety. And that leads us then to the seal, the second seal, which is Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Let's take a look at those scriptures. It says, when he, that is Jesus, opened the second seal, and John is the one recording this, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Heavenly Father, I'm asking now as we begin to unpack this that your spirit would empower the communication. I would ask, Lord, that you would help each of us to to have that uh, that basic understanding of what is being written here and what it's about. I pray that you'll use this message to touch the hearts of those who have yet to believe in Jesus, that uh, they need him and that he is trustworthy. And that they'll come in humble, repentant faith to receive him as their Savior. And Lord, I pray that you'll touch the saved. And Lord, call us to steps of transformation. And uh, Lord, as you do that, we'll give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, when the first horse and rider came forth, it brought a conquering of nations, but through the means of peace and safety. But with the revelation of this second horse and rider, we find that they bring an unsettling of the world that results in untold violence. And that brings me to truth point number one today. From the beginning of the opening of the second seal until the full and final return of Christ, the world is going to be engulfed in numerous national conflicts as well as interpersonal conflicts resulting in bloodshed on a scale never encountered before in human history with the opening of this second seal to the time to the time when Christ finally comes there's going to be international conflict interpersonal conflict that is going to result in bloodshed the degree that the world has never encountered that before now you and I we personally presently live in a bubble of relative peace are you aware of that yeah we we live in a bubble of relative peace but what we enjoy on a daily basis is not necessarily what is going on in the world today According to GlobalCitizen.com, there are 32 conflicts, 32 wars that are ongoing right now. And they report that conflict and violence are on the rise. They are not on the decline. According to a study released in June of 2023 by the Institute for Economics and, and, and Peace, almost a quarter of a million people died in conflict around the world this past year this marks a 96 percent increase year over year in deaths related to conflicts two billion people they say live in conflict afflicted areas which drive 80 percent of all humanitarian need i take that to mean if we could get rid of those conflicts 80% of the humanitarian need would dry up. And we'll talk more about that next week. But these conflicts drive poverty and want. In 2016, they wrote that the cost of conflict globally stood at $14 trillion, enough to end world hunger 42 times over. That's what our warring, that's what our conflict is costing us. The point is simply this, that currently the world is in constant turmoil. We are in constant conflict, which takes millions of lives and plunges billions into abject poverty and suffering. And the only word that I have for that is horrendous. I think it's absolutely horrendous what is going on in the world today. But I want you to imagine, if you can, the removal of peace to the point that Jesus makes this following comment found in Mark 13, 19 and 20. He says, In those days there will be such tribulation, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, And never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. So, as horrendous as conflict and war has been in the past and is right now, it really pales to what is still yet to come. Now, Jesus' comments there in Mark chapter 13 are focused on the timeline that we're focusing on now. Uh, the time of the tribulation on earth. And and although the tribulation on earth begins with a refreshing peace, it quickly devolves into the removal of peace to the point that the greatest and most concentrated violence the world has ever seen begins. And it begins with the opening of the second seal of Jesus' heavenly scroll. That brings me then to truth point number two. We do not like to think of Jesus in this way. But he, it is he, not Satan, not the Antichrist, that unleashes the force that sets in motion the removal of peace from the earth that increases conflict and violence. Little Jesus, meek and mild, laying there in the manger we love that picture feeding the 5,000 we love that picture raising folks from the dead we certainly love that picture dying on the cross as a suffering servant we may not like that picture but we praise God for what the, the, the the result of that is and of course him rising from the dead to bring eternal life we absolutely love that picture And so it becomes kind of hard, I think, for us to picture Jesus as a warrior. I think it becomes hard for us to depict Jesus as one who would intentionally take peace away from the earth and allow violence and bloodshed to have its way. And yet, that is what the Scripture teaches us. When this second seal is opened and begins to go forward, and begins to unfold, people are going to long for peace. People will probably pray for peace, but peace will not be found on the earth. As stated in truth point number one, both international and interpersonal conflict are going to occur on an unprecedented scale. I'm going to be in Mark chapter 13 for a little while today because this um, dovetails with, uh, with what we're looking at in Revelation. So if you want to take your Bible and turn there, of course the scriptures will be on the screen. But I want to talk a little bit about international conflict and what Jesus has to say. Recorded in Mark 13, first we're going to look at verses 7 and 8. So pointing to the time of the tribulation Jesus says this, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now I've heard it so many times when we talk about eschatology, when I talk about it with different people, We talk about these kinds of things, these kinds of signs. People will say, well, that's nothing new. That's been going on forever, and that's true. It's not new. Long after man, uh, not long after man began to populate the earth, people groups began to oppose one another and to war against one another. And there has been war ever since that time. But here in Mark 13, Jesus isn't speaking of war in general as we've known it. He's speaking of it in terms of the tribulation period when the Antichrist transitions from an arrowless bow to a sword of war that sees literally billions of people slaughtered in a very short amount of time. The question is, what brings about these conflicts? Well, time doesn't allow me today to give you all of the proof texts for everything I'm going to say, and so I'm not going to try to give you proof texts for everything. As we continue down the line in Revelation, we'll, we'll come to them and we'll point them out at that time. But I'm going to share a few things with you about this, and I will share a few scriptures along the way as we're going. So I'm just giving you an overview today about what brings about The magnitude of these kinds of conflicts. The pivot point in the tribulation period that brings things to this magnitude seems to be around the midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist, who has established his headquarters in Jerusalem, breaks his peace treaty with Israel, enters into their temple erects some kind of image to represent himself and declares himself to be God and so then demands that the whole world worship him. It's called in Scripture the abomination of desolation. And Jesus speaks about this abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 through 19. Let's take a look at it. Jesus says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, I want to stop there for just a second. So whatever this abomination of desolation is, apparently it can stand and it's going to end up standing in a place where it ought not be. Well, where is that? Well, basically it is the tribulation period temple. I'll talk more about that in a minute. So Jesus says that when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter into his house to take anything out, but let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant... And for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? In other words, when you see it happen, don't go back for your pictures as, pres- as precious as they are. Don't go back for your favorite coat, because it won't matter. Don't try to save your BMW. If you want to save yourself, you need to flee. And flee as far away from the action as you possibly can. This abomination of desolation isn't something that Jesus just brought to our attention. It's something that goes back to the Old Testament as well. The abomination of desolation was prophesied by Daniel. Daniel speaks of the abomination of desolation in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, chapter 11 verse 31, and chapter 12 verse 11. And we ultimately find his prophecy coming to pass in Revelation. Let's take a moment to look at Daniel 11:31. So I'm just kind of cutting into the middle of a conversation, but I'm just trying to get you to see a little point here from Daniel eleven thirty-one. It says, forces from him, the him there is this Antichrist, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Jesus speaks of it, Daniel speaks of it, but as of yet we have not yet found a definition of what this is. So what is this abomination of desolation? Well 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 define it for us. Let's take a look. This is the apostle Paul and he says, let no one deceive you in any way. For That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, notice, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That's pretty plain, I think. So I want you to try to imagine if you can. Imagine a world leader signing a treaty with Israel. You know, Israel's under attack, aren't they? It's on the news all the time, and of course, they're attacking and defending and so forth and so on. It's a mess over there. It's going to remain a mess. There is no one on this earth right now who's in leadership who can solve it. But imagine this world leader comes to a certain stage of power. And he's able to sign a treaty with Israel. Which basically means he's telling all the other nations around Israel, Back off! Leave her alone! Let her dwell in peace and safety. Now, imagine then that this edict has some teeth to it, and they do back off. They back off to the point that Israel decides they're going to rebuild their temple. And they rebuild their temple. And so because their temple is rebuilt, they begin to reestablish the sacrifices that used to take place in the temple. And so everything's looking good. Israel seems to be prospering. The temple is back. Sacrifices are taking place again. But then the very one who makes this covenant with them, this treaty with them, reneges on the treaty. And he decides to go into the temple to erect an image that represents himself and there declares himself to be God. And he demands the entire world now to worship him. I believe that Revelation chapter 13 verse 12 points us to this and we'll get to that someday but just quickly there we find John speaking of the antichrist in the terms of a first beast who with the assistance of another beast verse 11 who is also known as the false prophet makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast who's the first beast it's the antichrist and so this will be the breaking point for many nations of the earth. Nations who were willing to follow him when it was peace and safety and prosperity, but when he declares himself to be God and demands of them that they pay tribute to him as God, for some it's going to change the way they view him and they will begin to amass armies in an attempt to overthrow him. Like I said, his world domination is not long-lasting. It's very brief. Truth point number three makes that point. Although the Antichrist will achieve world domination, it will be short-lived. And he will spend much time and great resources attempting to quail regional conflicts and defending himself against those who come to oppose him. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, we go back again to Daniel. Daniel tells us about it. Now, as I read some of this from Daniel, it's very mysterious. It's it's not the easiest storyline to follow. But if you take your time and look at it carefully and compare Scripture with Scripture, you find he is talking about that end time period, a time when certain nations will rise up against the Antichrist, or whom Daniel calls the self-willed king. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, Daniel prophesies about this future ruler, and he refers to him simply there as a king or the self-willed king. And he says of him, and see if this doesn't match up with what we've heard already, he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods he shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done in other words god has made some decrees about all this and it will override what is going on as this one rises to power well we need to ask what is decreed well if we continue in daniel chapter Uh, 11 and look at verses 40 through 45 we kind of find out what is decreed let's look at that i'm reading from the nasb here at the end of time the king of the south will collide with him the hymn is this antichrist figure the king of the south well we don't know exactly who that is but south of israel is egypt And the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships. Who's the king of the north? Again, we don't know for sure. But what's north? Well, Russia's north. But there also is land that is occupied by Islamic nations too. And it's highly possible that it may be Russia coming down on them. Could be. Could also be a confederation of, of, of Islamic nations who decide they've had enough. Let's face it. Our Islamic, uh, what I want to say there? Friends. <laughs> our, our Islamic friends. Okay, we have Islamic friends, no doubt. Um, they believe very strongly that Allah is the only God. So much so, they will die for that. In fact, their edict is destroy everyone who doesn't believe that. That hasn't changed, and it won't change. It will continue. So when this figure sets themselves up as God, what are they saying? Allah is not God. I am. So it's highly possible that this could be a confederation of Islamic nations that come against him. So anyway, let me pick back up with the reading again. And the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow them, which means just overtake them, and he'll pass right through. He will also enter the beautiful land, which is Israel, and many countries will fall. But Daniel says, these will be rescued out of his hand. So so. Whatever nation is represented by Edom and Moab and the foremost of the sons of Ammon, those nations are going to be rescued from him. But then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him. And he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and to annihilate many. Goes right along with the second seal, does it not? To annihilate many. And, verse 45, he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas, between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. And the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end. In other words, it has been decreed. His his rule is not going to last forever, very short, and there will be no one to help him. I read all of that to you simply to say this. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. After the opening of the second seal by the Lord Jesus... That is what's going to happen. There is going to be international conflict to the level we have never encountered before. But Mark chapter 13 verses 9 through 13 also tell us that there's going to be interpersonal conflict. And I want us to take a look at that briefly. Verse 9, we find governments versus citizenry. Verse 9, but be on your guard, Jesus says, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to, be, to bear witness before me. Now what Jesus speaks of here is not exclusive to the period of, tra- uh, of tribulation, but it certainly includes it. We know this from studying the scripture that the Antichrist will have no toleration for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will have no toleration even for the worship of any other deity other than his own personal declaration that he is deity. And he will punish and he will imprison and he will even kill those who refuse to be silent. Verse 12 speaks of family versus family. It says, and brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Whew. How can that be? What would cause siblings to turn on one another? I mean like really turn on one another. What would cause A parent to turn on a child or a child to turn on a parent. Well, listen to me carefully, if you would. We saw it, did we not, in a relatively small way during the recent pandemic? When members of a family took opposing sides on issues like masking or vaccines or gathering in a place that was open, or who to believe, or who not to believe. Like I said in a very small way, no one was arrested for those things. No one was put in prison for those things. Uh, No one was executed. But in many cases, family members refused to see one another. They refused to talk with one another. They made accusations against one another uh, another over the propaganda that was coming out from government agencies. We saw it happen. People who loved each other, support each other, helped each other, all of a sudden couldn't stand each other over issues like that. Now, with that in mind, consider this scenario that we find in Revelation 13 Verses 16 and 17, which is so much bigger than the pandemic. John writes, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has received the mark. I want you to imagine, under the administration of the Antichrist, it becomes law that to participate in daily affairs, to buy groceries, to pay rent, to go to the doctor, to collect your pension, to pay for college tuition, Anything and everything having to do with the the, the transaction of money. If you don't have the mark, the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist, then you are excluded from everything. You will become a pariah. And there will be fathers and mothers who will turn on their children because their children won't take it. And there will be children who turn on their parents because their parents won't take it. It all seems very far-fetched, does it not? And yet we live in a time when we can begin to see how this can actually happen. We live in a time now where they can literally track every single monetary transaction you do. Every single. Single one. Every swipe at high V, every time you hit that little thing on the gas pump, you say, Oh, yeah, Pastor, yeah, that's why we should go off the grid and get rid of our credit cards and, and debit cards. Just good old cold hard cash. Well, guess what? There's a movement afoot right now to do away with all physical currency. I mean, that could literally happen in our lifetime. Now, is that evil or wicked? Not necessarily at all. Most of us hardly even use cash anymore. But my point is simply this: is that we have arrived at a time in history where the things that we read about that at one time we would have thought, that can't happen. That can't possibly happen. But it can happen now that they can track everything you do. and if you don't have the mark, you are out. You're not getting your Social Security. You can't go and buy groceries. You can't see the doctor. You can't even pay your house payment or your rent. Imagine what that will be like. Now, that leads me to truth point number four. The pressure to conform will become so great, and the demand for loyalty to the rule of the Antichrist will become so intense that family members will turn on family members who refuse to participate in the flow of prevailing culture. We've seen a little bit of it, but this is at a level we've never encountered. And so all of this, nations warring against nations, government at odds with their citizens, families forced to give their loyalty to a dictator over their own flesh and blood. Once that second seal opens, there will be no peace and there will be no safety. Instead, what the world will begin to encounter is a time of growing chaos and violence. And that's what is in store for those who dwell upon the earth during the time that we call the tribulation period and the opening of the second seal. Now, I've given you a whole lot of really negativity this morning, and I'm sorry, it's just what I have to do based on where we are. But I will give you some positivity. positivity. I want all of you to know this. I want those who are online to know this. I want those who are in the overflow room to know this. That the things that we've been talking about here this morning are not what the Lord has in store for his saints. It is not what the Lord has in store for his saints. And that becomes abundantly clear when you study Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19. You find absolutely no mention of the church anywhere there in any of the chapters. We're gone. You say, well, where where, where will the church-age saints be? Well, as we've talked about already, both the resurrected and the living saints are going to be taken by the Lord to be within Him in heaven. And that's a beautiful thing. How many of you think that's a beautiful thing? Just wanted you to know, I want you to give an opportunity to express a happy moment before I lower the boom. It is a beautiful thing wonderful thing it is a blessed hope but i fear something and i want all of you christians to listen up really carefully right now i fear that too many of the church age saints when they hear that good news they just sigh a big sigh of relief and they go thank God, I'm covered by grace. I don't have to worry about that. That's never going to touch me. He's going to take us out of here before all of that kind of stuff ever begins. And so, based on that, they just go about living their lives. They give little to no thought about that time. They give little to no thought about the many in their family, on their street, at their school, where they work, the many of those who will be left here and will have to endure it. Give little thought about it because, praise God, we're going out of here. Before I go to what I've prepared, let me share something I haven't. While I believe with all my heart that the church age saints will be taken out before the tribulation period begins, there's no guarantee we're going to be taken out before the devil brings more of his wrath down upon the world. So we could see a whole lot of things change for us, and there's no guarantee we're going to be taken out for that. But we will be taken out for the other. But friend, when we know about the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on this world, And when we know of the eternity of torment that awaits those who are outside of Christ, it should spur us on to be intentional and active in the great commission that our Lord Jesus gave us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Until we hit the end of this age, we have a mission to be involved in, church. And so, Christian, I ask you, where do you stand in relation to the Great Commission? Where are you? Are you sharing the gospel with anybody? With anybody? Are you praying for the salvation of those in your family? Are you praying for the salvation of those who live on your street? Are you praying for the salvation of those who sit in the cubicle uh, uh, opposite of where you sit? Are you praying for those in your school who sit in the desk beside you? Where do you stand as it relates to the Great Commission? Listen to me carefully, church. The Lord does not, does not expect you to save anyone because you can't. Salvation, the saving of souls, is the exclusive purview of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he does expect us to be equipped to share his gospel with others. He does expect us to invest real and precious time in helping the lost discover their lostness pointing them to Jesus, and then helping them to grow in their faith. Where are you in relation to being a witness for Jesus? If you are not equipped to share the gospel, then the Lord wants you to surrender yourself to become equipped. It's simple. I don't know how to share my faith, Pastor. I I don't know how to present the gospel. Well, we exist To help you learn how to do that and we've been training people on how to do that and if you're willing to give a little time and a little effort you my friend can learn how to speak of your faith and share the gospel with those who need to hear it and if you're not equipped to do that let me guarantee you it is God's will for you to as quickly as you can present yourself to be equipped And if you've been equipped, there are many who have sat through the classes. If you've been equipped, then the Lord expects you to engage the mission. Engage it in your immediate family. Engage it with your friends. Engage it with your neighbors. Engage it with those you work with. And again, TMC exists to give you insights and encouragements and opportunities To help you be a witness for Christ. And what about prayer? Do you have a list of names? Whether in here or on a sheet of paper. People that you know are spiritually lost. Who you regularly lift up to the Father. Asking the Holy Spirit to open their spiritual eyes. To give them the faith to believe asking the Lord to give you an opportunity to come alongside to help them to Christ. That's where it starts. Now listen, I'm not going to judge you and you're not going to judge me, but I encourage each one of us to consider these questions, to answer them honestly, and then to take intentional steps to get where we know our Savior wants us to be finally every week whether it's in this room whether it's the folks who are in the overflow room or whether it's the folks who are connecting with us online every week i speak to men women boys and girls who have yet to open their heart to the lord jesus christ if that's you if that's you if that's you then i encourage you to begin moving toward Him by intentionally exploring the gospel and its claims. I want you to know that today the Lord is going to give you an opportunity to hear that gospel. It is a message of God's Son whom the Father sent into this world to take on human flesh, to live amongst us, and ultimately to go to a cross where The Father laid the sin of the world upon His Son, and His Son paid the debt for that sin. And He paid it in full. And then He rose from the dead to bring eternal life to all who would turn to Him, to embrace Him, to repent of their sin, and to claim Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And the Bible is abundantly clear that if a person comes to that point where they are willing to, to in faith turn to Christ and confess Him as their Lord and Savior believing in what He accomplished through the cross and resurrection then the Lord will bring them into His family He will bring them into His kingdom He will make them His dearly loved children and He will make them citizens of His kingdom but He won't force you to do that He's not going to make you do that but He invites you to come He invites you to open your heart. He invites you to believe. And if you have questions about the gospel or questions about the things we've talked about today, my contact information is on the screen. And if you'll reach out, I'll reach back. As we get together, I believe if you're sincere, that the Lord will meet you at the point of your need and He will begin a work in you that He will finish and He will bring you into His presence. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.